All right. Good morning. Welcome to Summary Christian Doctrine. Last week we started talking about uh, the Ten Commandments and the law and what they mean. Um, and we talked about the first three, I believe, right? We get number three covered. We didn't get number three. We just barely started. Well, we'll start with number three here. Um, First one, having no other gods. Um, Talking about idolatry and anything that our heart loves. Um, Our hearts love to love things more than God, be they family or possessions or health or home. Uh, All the things God gives, we try to put those in his place. Um, shall not use, misuse the name of the Lord your God, which protects the things that we say and confess, uh, our doctrine, uh, and how we as Christians should do everything in the name of the Lord, um, and uh, uphold that name as holy and important. Uh, and so then the third one, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, which has to do with hearing God's word. Um, this one is one that gets... A lot of uh, misunderstanding applied to it, um, especially here in Lincoln, um, as I'm learning as I am a pastor here now. Um, the third commandment has to do with us coming and hearing God's word, but so many people want to say the third commandment means on a Saturday or on a Sunday, we should just not do any work, um, which is not what the... The word is actually saying, but rather, what is important that we do on a Sabbath day? What is it that makes it holy? What is it that makes anything holy? It is God's word. And so when we have the third commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, that means on the opportunities that arise, go to Church. church, right? And go to a church where... The pastor preaches God's word and its truth and purity. And not only that, but when you have the opportunity at home, what should you do? Pray, read the Bible. Pray, read the Bible, right? And instead, you know, what we like to do is watch. Um, well, if we're going to, I'll just confess my sin here. I like to watch The Office, right? Uh, instead of read the Bible. I like to, um, you know, read books uh, that are other things. I like to (laughs) sleep in. If it were up to me, church would be what time on Sunday morning? Yeah. (laughs) We'd we'd all get to sleep in, right? Um, That's my sinful nature that wants to do other things instead. And it's not that those other things are bad. It's not that sleeping in is bad. It's not that watching The Office or any other show is bad. But God's word is more important than those things. When the opportunity arises, we ought to hear God's word um, instead. Um, That's kind of a quick basic summary of those first three commandments. Remember we talked about how those first three commandments describe our relationship uh, with God and his relationship with us, a vertical uh, relationship. Um, And as we talked about those three commandments last time, How many of them have we kept? Right? We we have two respectable elders here with us and, you know, a respected member of the clergy up here. I think we can safely say none of us have kept any of those three commandments so far. 
Praise be to God who fulfills them for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Sorry for picking on you elders. So, All right. Um, let's go on to number four then. Number four starts the second table of the law, um, which deals with not our relationship with God, but rather the relationship with people around us. Um, as Christians, we are to love God and also then to serve our neighbor, uh, to be... Um, if you will, little Jesuses to the people around us. What I mean by saying that is, is that the same way that God loves and cares for us, we're called to do the same thing for the people around us. The Ten Commandments give us a framework of what that looks like. So would somebody read commandment number four? Honor your mother and your father. Yep. Uh, honor your father and your mother. Um, this is the, the first commandment that has a promise that goes with it as well. We don't have that recorded because we like to keep things short catechism-wise. But it says, so that things may go well with you in the land. This commandment protects God's gift of authority, if you will. Right? When you're a kid, what authorities in your life matter the most? Your parents, right? Your parents would say, make sure you're home by 11 o'clock, I don't know, midnight, 9 o'clock, <laughs> right? Um, and if you weren't home by that time, you were grounded, grounded right? Um, your parents teach you what's right and wrong, hopefully, right? Now, because of sin, are there exceptions to these things? Are there bad parents? Do we make mistakes as parents? Absolutely. This is the way it's supposed to work in a perfect world, that parents are the authorities who teach you how to live a life that is worthwhile for, uh, for God, for nation, and for um, the benefit of the neighbor. Parents' job is to teach their kids the faith. We're going to have a baptism at the second service, uh, and we're going to talk about how Parents are supposed to make sure their kids go to church. Parents are supposed to make sure they hear the word. Parents are supposed to make sure they attend confirmation. Parents are supposed to bring their kids to be baptized. Uh, and all those things, parents have that authority over the kids. And so at first, on the surface level, this commandment deals with the family. And that uh, children and parents have a relationship that should work uh, to honor God in what it says and does. Now, how many of your families reflect that perfectly? You never had an argument with your parents, right? We got a dad and a son here, right? You guys always get along perfectly, right? Yep, all <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you're better than me. Uh, my parents and I butted heads all the time because I'm sinful and because they're sinful. So that relationship on the surface level, that first layer, is broken. Parents are not the only authorities that we have, are they? In addition to parents, what other authorities might there be? Law enforcement. What's that? Law enforcement. Law enforcement, right. Um, in a way, our, our state, federal governments are built by families. Families are the basic building block, right? Um, the next level up is 
local government, we have law enforcement that if you drive 10 miles over the speed limit, eventually you will get a ticket. Uh, if you drink excessively and then drive, chances are good that you'll get arrested. arrested. <laughs> if you um, break any of the other laws, be they drug laws or tax laws uh, or things like that, law enforcement puts you in jail. We're to honor law enforcement as well for the job that they do so that it might go well with us in the land, which means when there's a law, we as Christians seek to keep that law. There is one exception to that. Does anybody have an idea what that exception might be? Contrary to God's law. If it's contrary to God's law, right? If, if the government said it's illegal for you to be a Christian, what law do we hold higher first? God and his word. And I know, well, we live in America, right? That sounds impossible. Just this last week, it was in the news that in China, they are arresting Christians left and right right now. They are um, persecuting Christians for being Christians and, and throwing them in jail, um, which is amazing because in China, there are more Christians than there are people here in the United States. Uh, people don't often realize that. There's a lot of Christians in China. The reason we don't understand it is because they're all underground. Because if you're a Christian in China, what do they do? <laughs> Arrest you, <laughs> put you in jail. Okay. Um, let's see. In the United States, that's a possibility. In the future, Christianity is becoming less and less popular, right? Um, what's it like in uh, Venezuela, Ramon? Are Christians free to be Christians there, or is there pressure? Still, yeah. Yep, good. Okay. Um, more and more Christians are facing persecution, and we need to be aware of that. We should obey the law. We should pray for the, the leaders, the governor, president, congressmen and women, uh, support them in the task they have to do, um, but also to elect godly people that will uh, allow us to practice our faith freely. Um, we can go on a big, long discussion in that direction if you want to, or we can keep moving. <laughs> keep moving? Okay. Um, so we, we have these authorities, uh, government, law enforcement, parents. Uh, when you're in school, who are the authorities there? Teachers, principal, when you have a job, do you have an authority there? Who is your boss, right? Or, you know, maybe you have, I like the movie Office Space, you know, where he has like six bosses. Um, yeah, I see you didn't put the cover sheet on your TPS reports. Six guys come and tell him that. <laughs> What's that? Did you get the memo, right? Yeah. We ought to pray for and obey and support those in authority, whether they're our boss or in any position. We don't do very well at that, which tells us what about ourselves? We're sinful people. Um, just like all the other three commandments, we're at the fourth one, we haven't kept it. Uh, we are sinners, and this commandment reveals that to us as well. Fifth commandment, somebody want to read that one? 
You shall not murder. Right? Now, how many of you guys have murdered? Right. When we ask the question that way, none of us raise our hands. Because if we, God willing, none of us have stabbed someone to death or run them over with a car or something like that, right? Uh, and if we had, we definitely wouldn't talk about it on a, something that's going to be recorded and sent over the radio, right? <laughs> Murder, we think, just has to do with taking someone's life in anger or, or out of jealousy or something like that. Christ teaches us much more. He says, if you have said, uh, moron, or I hate you to your brother, that you have murdered them in your heart. It's not just taking a life that breaks this commandment. It's also, we're called to support and protect all life. We're called to um, not be violent with someone in such a way that it puts their life at danger. It's not just actually the physical act of murder, but if we are um, abusive or angry or those sorts of things, Christ says we're already murderers in our heart, right? Because when you, when you yell, you big moron, uh, I hate your guts to your, your younger brother, what's behind that? Malice. What's that? Malice. Malice. What's the same thing that's behind you stabbing that person? It's the same root cause that's behind actually taking the life and then also yelling those things or um, uh, injuring someone, beating someone up outside of a bar. Or when I was a kid, you know, my brothers and I would get in fights all the time. I was the biggest one. I always pinned them down. Um, and one time, even my brother, he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One time, my brother and I were in a fight. We were home alone, and he was trying to call my, my mom to tattle on me. And I, it was back when you had a button on your phone, you know, so I kept hanging up as soon as he started to dial. So he grabbed the phone, and he hit me with it in the face. And I ended up with six stitches in my eyebrow um, just to show my brothers and I, when we were kids, were murderers according to God's word. And I, I would submit that probably we all were that way and maybe still are in some regard. When the guy cuts you off driving, what do you do? Idiot. Not idiot. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go back to Kansas, right? Or, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, or maybe it's Iowa that we pick on. I don't know. That's murder according to God's word. There are also some ethical issues that deal with this particular commandment. Um, maybe we, we should start with um, the end of life. What's something that more and more people are advocating for? Suicide. Assisted suicide. Where um, maybe it's really painful dealing with particular disease. And so wouldn't it just be better if we killed you off now using medical means um, or um, euthanasia or one of the things that I think is a big deal in our world today is the issue of abortion where we as a society 
have decided that it's okay for us to vacuum out babies piece by piece from inside their mom. Um, we would say that's, that's murder. Or um, the very first funeral that I did was for a young man who shot himself in the head. Ew. Suicide. Um, that's murder. It's, it's going against God's word. Or, um, I don't know how to say this one the right way, when, when grandma is in the nursing home and we never ever go and visit grandma or uh, help her out with the things she needs and she's just trapped in there by herself, really that falls under you shall not murder. All of us are guilty of breaking this commandment in some way, shape, or form, um, multiple ways, multiple times. We are murderers according to God's word, which reveals that we all are sinful, tells us that what thing do we, we need? Forgiveness of sins from Jesus. And that's the thing he's happy to give all of us, no matter if it's um, my brother hitting me in the face or me holding him and choking him in a headlock or uh, abortion or if we've dealt with a loved one who is dying and the question on whether or not we should pull the plug or let them go longer. We have forgiveness for murder through Jesus Christ, all of it, every single way that we've broken the commandment, God forgives uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to remember and to know. We are sinners. We have broken the law. We have forgiveness completely uh, clear and free through Jesus Christ. I think that one is one that we carry a lot of guilt about <laughs> as we go about in our lives because um, it's difficult and we don't we don't like to talk about it. Remember, there's forgiveness for murderers in Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm just going to ask you a quick question. What about um, like hospice and that kind of thing? Is that? Yeah, that's the question that comes about, which is I think where a lot of our guilt comes in regard to the fifth commandment. And what I'd say to you is this. The, the question that you get asked a lot as a pastor when you go and someone is dying is should we remove medical care now or should we continue it? And the, the question is, um, are we causing death to come about or are we allowing what's happening to happen? And that's kind of where we have to ask the question and make a decision. The trouble is, do we ever really know for sure? No. And that's where... When we make those decisions and deal with those things like hospice and end-of-life decisions, we have to trust in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have to make the decision the best we can with the information we have and know that despite our sin, God loved us enough to grant us his grace. And um, that's where we have to make that choice and that decision. Um, it's hard. There's not a, a right yes or wrong because of how our, our world is sinful. The mercy of Christ forgives 
all of that. We have to rest in that forgiveness, life, and salvation that Jesus gives. And, and say we have guilt that we carry around from a choice we've made in the past, we have that mercy and forgiveness in Christ. And this is maybe tangential. If you have guilt for something dealing with this commandment, you have pastors you can go and talk to and say, you know, I pulled, decided to stop medical care for grandma. I feel guilty. Uh, I made a choice when I was younger um, about a child or uh, I, um, you know, I, I beat up my brother in a fight and then he moved away and never talked to me again. How do I get forward? And the pastor's job is to say to that specific sin, that's a sin that Christ has died for and you have mercy and forgiveness in Christ and um, to show you the love of Christ as a neighbor, um, that's pastor's job um, to keep us living in that forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. I don't know if that... Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ramon. Uh, I don't know how to, to say this, but uh, uh, about uh, the military. Uh, about, for example, uh, it's a mission, okay? That is sent to X country. And then, uh, I mean, they had to kill and survive. So, how. Mm -hmm. how uh, yeah, um, there, the, the question is about a military and their very job is to kill. Or we could even add in there, what about the police officer who has to shoot someone to stop a crime from taking place? Um, how do we deal with that? Well, once again, there, for the personal level, for the person pulling the trigger, or dropping the bomb or whatever, the only place we can rest for forgiveness is in Christ. And, and his promise is that all sin is forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And that's we can dwell right there in that forgiveness of sins. Now, that's after we've pulled the trigger, after the incident has happened. What about the soldier who's just signing up and heading over now? You know, they have... I've talked to them before, and they have the question, what do I do? God gives authority to take life to the government for the purpose of keeping us safe, okay? So say that Darla is a, um, she's a serial murderer, and she captures people at the grocery store, and she takes them home and cuts them into pieces and eats them, you know, like... Uh, Hannibal Lecter, right? The government, when they find out she's doing that, they have the authority to take her life for the sake of keeping the rest of us safe. Government has that authority uh, to serve neighbor in that way. It's a terrible, dreadful authority to think about, but they have that authority. The same thing with the military, right? Say. Canada gets their army ready and they line up along the border and they're going to invade and steal all of our money and wealth and uh, you know their goal is to take over North Dakota where the uh, nuclear missiles are so that they can have those as their own. Our government has the authority through the military to defend us and keep us safe even should that mean 
taking a life. There's a distinction to be made in that our government does not have the authority to hurt people or harm people for the gain of the government or for the gain of a few, right? So we should have authority to defend ourselves if Canada is invading. Government should not have the authority to go and invade Canada so that we can get all of their, what, what do they have? Snow. Beaver dams and snow, snow. or I don't, you know, <laughs> just teasing Canada, uh, don't take offense. <laughs> you know, they don't have the authority to do that. So we look at World War II as a good example. We had the authority to defend the good of other people by attacking Hitler. Hitler should not have had the authority to um, take over Europe for the good and gain of his own personal self and for the state of Germany at that time. And that's kind of the way that we should ask the question. Where it gets really tricky then is because of a sinful world, we have things like um, Iraq and Afghanistan. Were we operating under the right authority? That's the debate that's going on all the time, politically speaking, right? Was it good or right? We, we never know in this sinful world. Therefore, once again, what does this commandment drive us to do? To find forgiveness in God and in Jesus. Um, we're not able, as sinners, to operate with completely just cause in any situation. So, I don't know, does that kind of answer a little bit, Ramon? Yes, <coughs> it does. Uh, there is a, um, a certain, uh, how do you say, the people is not happy about it in Latin America, because one of the, I think the secretary for Latin America, for the Lutheran Church, he was one of, of the uh, commanders who was working in Panama when uh, they took over. This guy, Noriega, who was there dealing with drugs. Now he is the secretary for uh, Latin America, for the Lutheran Church. Mm -hmm. And all people is not really happy about it because the way they say is that he killed a lot of people. And now he even said in meetings that he killed um, what he did. And then that's something that people is not no really happy with. It. I know that the forgiveness is there, but politically, uh, people do not accept those things still. Right. That's, that's uh, one of those difficult things where sometimes a particular sin that we've committed carries consequences in this world that are different than the consequences in God's eyes. So if Darla is the serial murderer and eating people and she gets arrested and put in jail and she realizes that what she's done is wrong, that forgiveness spoken by the pastor to her is absolutely true in God's eyes. She is forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, completely and totally. There are still worldly consequences, right? The prison 
will still not let her out of prison for her entire life. And that's something that she has to bear, the temporal consequences of the sin, um, even though in God's eyes there is complete and total forgiveness. The promise for her is what? This world is temporary, and in the world to come, the forgiveness that you have in heaven will be fully realized. But here on earth, there's still consequences. And sometimes even with political office, right? Um, in that case, that man might have killed lots of people, and maybe he, ha he does have the forgiveness through Jesus Christ, but maybe because of the things that have happened in the past, he ought not be in the particular office that he is. And that's one of those things that people have to weigh and decide. Um, I'd say for the pastoral office as pastors, if, if, I have, if I'm a pastor and I have an affair while I'm a pastor, I can be forgiven, but I can't be a pastor anymore um, because the temporal consequences are there. If I'm a pastor and I rob a bank, I can be forgiven, but I can't be in that office anymore because of that sin. If I'm a pastor and I, uh, well, you know, any of these Ten Commandments we're looking at, there are temporal consequences that are not always the same as the eternal consequences. That's something that a church body, you know, the one you're talking about in, in Venezuela or Central America, they have to decide and think about and talk about, and that man ought to think about those things for the sake of the church as well. If, if I've committed a sin and I should be excluded from the office, it's not necessarily for my good that I'm out of the office, it's for the good of the church in general, right? Um, it's so that people won't find me to be a stumbling block to the faith, because that's the most important thing is that we, people find that forgiveness of sins in Christ. I don't know, is that, doesn't solve the problem there, but that's the way we ought to think about it, I think. It sounds like that's exactly what, what you're describing is why the pastor should be above reproach. Otherwise, I could look at you if you had committed some horrible, horrible public sins, and I might think, well, is he really preaching the word properly? Does he really know what he's talking about? Right. Is, you know, and then I would question and it sounds like that's <laughs> that's what's happening there and that's for the sake of the gospel then that person maybe should step aside it's um i don't know how to say it any different than this the truth of the matter is god does not need me adam moline to create the church he just needs a man to preach his word and truth and purity and if something that adam moline has done gets in the way of that, then Adam Moline needs to go find another job at Walmart or Target or, you know, <laughs> something I'm qualified for so that people can still hear the gospel. It doesn't mean I can't be a Christian or come to church. Uh, it doesn't mean that I won't be saved, but the, the preaching office, pastors are held to be examples to the flock, and if that's not the case, then a pastor should step aside. Pastor, uh, God doesn't need Pastor Poppy. God doesn't need Vicar Bader. He needs just mouths. And if something those people have done is taking away from Christ, then we need to step aside for the sake of Christ. <clears throat> All right. 
Other questions? Once again, all of us have broken this commandment in many, many ways. The forgiveness of sins in Christ is the solution and the answer, and we all have that. The forgiveness of Christ is for you uh, in all the ways that you have murdered, no matter what those ways are. All of us have murdered. All of us have complete and forgiveness, complete and clear forgiveness in Christ. Um, and now we seek to live our life not being murderers. Now we still are, in the sense that I still get angry at my brother or the person cutting me off or my neighbor who, you know, um, his dog, I guess my neighbor, is mad at me. My dog barks at 4 o'clock in the morning, right? All those things still happen. We constantly bring them to the feet of Jesus and say, this is my sin so that he can pour out his forgiveness, life, and salvation upon us in return. Questions? No? All right. Um, I know we're about three minutes earlier than normal, but I think maybe the next commandment, maybe we'll just wait and start that next week, because if we have as long a discussion about that one as we just had about the sixth or the fifth commandment, we'll be here uh, through the beginning of the next service, and maybe it would just be better to have it all at one time. Does that sound all right? Mm -hmm. Any questions about anything at all, theological or religion-related? <laughs> oh, no, no, just easy. Yeah, go ahead, Ramon. Okay. Okay, uh, when I, I think that the, the gospel for today is uh, Matthew 11, 2 to 11. The app with John in the in prison, and he sends the people to uh, Jesus. Yep. Okay. Uh, when uh, John sent uh, his disciples to ask that question, are you the one we need to wait for another? Mm -hmm. Now, I was uh, reading a, in a commentary, and it confused me a little. And then I had to ask uh, a pastor who speaks Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Because they might not fully understand. Uh, he said that he probably was, John was uh, probably confused because he didn't see the signs, okay? Uh, <coughs> like uh, the software and fire coming from heaven and the, the hot yeah. tree, and you know, he didn't see all those things. Now, John had that. I say that he was a little bit of a uh, uh, doubt. But then my, my pastor said no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your pastor said no in the sermon this morning. The, the idea that John in prison doubted Christ and um, didn't trust that he was the one is an idea that is new only in the last 100, 200 years. For the history of the church, um, they've always seen John as... Uh, having faith, but pointing his disciples to Jesus so that they have the correct faith when he gets his, uh, his ultimate punishment of having his head removed by uh, Herod. Um, in fact, in a Luther sermon, which I can uh, share with you later, that's the way Luther writes about it. For the history of the church, that's the way they understood it up until the last little while when we're, we're kind of... Um, 
in this world where it seems there's a lot more doubt, we're reading into what John's doing, um, the fact that uh, maybe he's doubting now that he's facing trial and tribulation. But we see John already in the womb when um, his mother Elizabeth and Mary meet, that he leaps in the womb because even then he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. We see John, when he's baptizing, point to Christ and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Um, we see John even... Uh, throughout his whole life, pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ, to the point he gets arrested and put in jail uh, for preaching the truth of Christ's word. And so then to say all of a sudden he's, he's kind of doubting, I think, has uh, been a challenge for readers of the scriptures as they've interpreted this throughout the ages. And that's why I said this morning, John doesn't doubt. Rather, he's being a faithful pastor and pointing people to Christ. And I think on the, the radio show Proclaiming the One for this week, we talked about it a little bit more than that as well. Um, and so when I said that John doesn't doubt, I was taking the position that the church has taken for at least 15, 1,600 years um, in that regard. I don't know if that... <laughs> well, after I read all that, <coughs> then I say, well, but those are the same scenes that uh, the Jews, people, you people say today, the same thing. So, well, he was not the, the Christ because uh, Christ didn't come with all that firework and all that, you know, it was, it was. And I say, hmm. Yeah, the, if you deny all the miracles that Jesus did as your starting point, then yeah, he doesn't look like the Messiah. But then if you look at the things that he did, raising the dead like Lazarus and the, the widow's son at Nain, walking on water, feeding the people with bread and uh, uh, fish, uh, rising from the dead himself, um, making the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, all those things. If we believe those things really happen, then he is fulfilling what the Messiah is to do. The, the problem with the, um, the Jewish interpretation of Jesus is they deny that he did all of those things. And if, if you start, if your opening premise, logically speaking, is, is that Jesus didn't do the things that Scripture says, then no, he sure doesn't look like the, uh, the Messiah. But if we allow the Scripture to teach and speak and say, yes, he did these things, then he does fulfill what the requirements for the Messiah was. So that's, we have to ask the question, and the biggest question, the easiest one is, did Christ rise from the dead? And there's a guy named um, Gary Habermas, who is famous for having debates with atheists about whether Jesus really rose from the dead. There's no logical explanation for Christianity apart from the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead. Why did St. Paul, who was killing Christians, suddenly become a Christian? Why did 12 men uh, willingly go to their death for the sake of a lie? It doesn't make sense. Um, even the, the, uh, the ideas that Jesus only swooned on the cross, he didn't really die, he just passed out. Have you seen that take place anywhere else in Roman history? The Romans were very good at killing people. <laughs> and have you ever seen someone stabbed through the heart and lungs that only passed out and then without medical intervention came out and was fine, right? No. Uh, the only logical explanation if you examine all the evidence is that Christ really rose from the dead. And if he did that, then 
we're willing to listen to what he says about himself, that he is the, the Messiah and all that, that goes with it. So, all right. Maybe we ought to stop there then so we, at least the pastor can make church on time. <laughs> Should we close with the Lord's Prayer? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Have a great week. If you need anything, let me know. We'll keep on plugging away through those next week. Pastor. Mm -hmm.